This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. On this edition of How We See It, we're going to take an inside look at the priest convocation for the Diocese of St. Petersburg. The convocation was October 3rd through the 6th at Bethany Center right here in Lutz, Florida. And on Tuesday, I paid a visit to the gathering to talk to a few of the priests and find out about the theme for the week. We'll hear from Father Gary Dowsey, the host of the week, Father James Mallon, the keynote speaker, Father Chuck Dornquist on vocations, and Bishop Gregory Parks on his recovery and much more. So let's jump right in with Father Gary Dowsey. Convocation's been a, a tradition here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, and the man who has most recently been putting the last probably five or six together anyway, maybe more than that, is joined us this morning, Father Gary Dowsey the pastor of St. Peter Catholic Church in Trinity. This is the 26th, actually, convocation, and I've been the chair for 10 years. 10 years has it been? Yeah, see? You're getting old, John. That's the trouble. Time is going so fast. Why do you do it every year? Does the bishop say, Father Gary, we want you to do it, or do you volunteer for that, or how does that work? Uh, Well, you get appointed to the commission, and it just seems that that appointment never ends. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like doing it? Well, we've got a great team. It's not just me, of course. We sure. have a great team on the commission. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a privilege to be able to put together these wonderful convocations to inspire our priests, uh, to help them enjoy each other's company as well so that they have time for uh, confraternity, which during the course of the year, you don't get much time to be with your brother priest. So this is a great opportunity for us to broaden our vision, just to see new pastoral initiatives that we can uh, put in place in our parishes and also to enjoy each other's company. So that's really the the, the basis of most convocations around the country? Or I would have thought so. Here? I can only judge it on this diocese, and uh, it does seem to have been the pattern. Certainly, I've been in the diocese since uh, 2001, and every convocation I've been to, in fact, I've been on the commission for about 17 years, but every convocation I've been to has been very inspiring, and it tries to respond to the needs of the church of the time. You know, we're not looking backwards, we're always looking forwards, looking at the present, what we can do to improve our pastoral work and, uh, and just to broaden our vision. And uh, so we're always looking to the future. We're always looking through the door out into the world. Well, speaking of going out into the world, your keynote speaker and if you want to call it sort of retreat theme master is Father James Mallon. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a retreat. Okay. So it's definitely business. You know, he's really, every year when we have our convocation, it really is it's more business orientated uh, in the sense of the business of our vocation as a priest. Different than a, so, different so than a vacation though. Oh, it's very different than a vacation. Yeah. Because we want people to go away, as I've already said, with some new initiatives in their hearts, things they could implement with their parish, in their parishes. But also it's all about collaboration with the people that we serve. It's not just the priest getting great ideas and then enforcing them on the people. It's the priest gathering these ideas and these pastoral initiatives, this new vision, and then discussing it, obviously, with his parishioners. That's why this particular convocation on Friday, we have a lay component. There's nearly 160 now coming on Friday. Lay leaders from all around the diocese will gather with their priests just to reflect on what the priests have been discussing during this week and then how they can be involved in this vision, in this process, and to continue to enliven the church 
with the, the presence and the gospel of Christ. What's the theme? Uh, this year's theme is learning to lead a disciple-making parish. I think we may veer from that a little bit. I think that was the initial theme that was given to us through Divine Renovation, which Father James Mallon founded. Because what we're trying to do is incorporate our convocations into the diocesan vision statement, which is courageously living the gospel which focuses on making dis- uh, disciple-making parishes. It focuses on family life and youth and young adults. So we've been trying to make sure that what the convocations that we have do align ourselves with the diocesan vision statement as outlined by our bishop and the team he put together to bring that vision statement to fruition. There were nine components of that Courageously Living the Gospel initiative, uh, our vision. Some areas we've done really well, but this gathering will help us focus on some of those areas where we might need to put a little more steel to the metal, so to speak, to sharpen it a little bit. Of course, evangelization is what the church is all about. In fact, if you know about the reform of the Curia that the Pope has just completed, Pope Francis, the now number one dicastery is evangelization. So that is at the top of the agenda. And it should always be at the top of the agenda for the church because that was the great commission from Christ. And so really, we know that COVID has had an impact on the church. We know secularism has had an impact on Christian faith generally across the Western world. And so we have to try and find as many means as possible. And this is one of them where we can re-engage with the world with the gospel message. It's good to hear other ideas. As you said, when, when all the men get together in one room, which is very rare here in our diocese, other than the chrism mass, or maybe, God forbid, a funeral, you guys don't get together a lot and, and collaborate as much as you like, except maybe at the deanery level. Yeah, at the deanery level, there'd be more collaboration or more meeting together. But as, as a diocese, it would be the convocation, the retreat, study days, the chrism mass, a priest funeral, uh, or priest gathering for a funeral of a, of a priest parent or something like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, but this is the, an opportunity because we're very focused. That's the thing about the, the convocation. It, it's focused on a particular topic, on a particular issue. And we know that we've got to re-energize our church. We've got to re-energize ourselves and make sure that our top priority is to evangelize. What is Father Geary Dowsey hoping to take away from the, by Friday afternoon? By Friday afternoon, I think I'm hoping for my own personal f- uh, vision to be renewed, for an injection of enthusiasm uh, for our vocation as priests, for my vocation as a priest, to recognize the areas where you know, you have to really collaborate. None of this will work. This vision won't be implemented unless we're working with our people. So to find more and more opportunities where we can engage the people that we have in our parishes in order to invite those that we don't have within our parishes. Because this is not about just, it's it's really going from maintenance to mission. So we've got to think beyond our own front doors, beyond the people who are at Mass every week. We've got to engage them so that they take on that mantle to be a missionary disciple because we've got to look beyond our own four walls. We've got to reach out. We've got to touch this world with the presence of Christ because, you know, so many people don't know what direction their life is going in and yet we know where where we're heading to the kingdom. Next, let's hear part of my conversation with Bishop Parks. So we're at the convocation, Bishop, and always good to have all the guys together. 
Yeah, it sure is. What a great week it is for the priests of our diocese to come together in one location. We're kind of scattered over five counties usually, and to come together for a time of prayer, a time of learning, but also just fellowship and and fun, you know, just to enjoy each other's company and to spend time together. They're always glad to see their bishop. But it must be extra special for you now that you're up and around and looking good. Yeah, it's incredible the number of our priests that have said, Bishop, it's so good to see you walking and you look so much better and it's great to have you back. And and I've appreciated not only their support, but their patience as I've had some of the struggles I've dealt with over the years. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the focus is renovating, reinvigorating, making disciples, um, trying to go from maintenance to mission at this particular convocation, talking about those things. What are you as bishop hoping to get out of this? Well, the theme of this convocation fits in so well with our vision for our diocese of courageously living the gospel. You know, one of our goals or objectives of that was to form missionary disciples. And that's what we're trying to equip our our pastors and parish priests to do, is to help to equip our parishioners, the lay faithful, to join us in that mission. It's not not just the bishop's responsibility, it's not just the priest's responsibility, it's everyone's baptismal call to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and invite others to come and know the love and mercy of God. So this is kind of the beginning of that, is, is trying to send our pastors back. And then uh, Friday of this week, so after the priests are finished, we've invited representatives, lay representatives from each of our parishes to come to spend some time with Father Malin as well from uh, Divine Renovation Ministry, so that they can be empowered and equipped to go back to the parishes to, to spread the good news. The, all the guys seem accepting to this, but I'll say this, and this I don't want this to come across negative, but you know how it is. It's hard to change sometimes. You, you get set in a pattern. Hey, this idea has always worked. It worked 20 years ago. But, you know, times have changed. Yeah, yeah, that's very true, John. And what we know is that what we've always done uh, isn't working (laughs) because we have a lot of folks that have left the practice of their faith, unfortunately, and that's a concern to me. So um, not that we need to, to change our teachings or our traditions, but I think we do need to adopt a new attitude of evangelization. It's not something that as Catholics we've always been very comfortable with. Uh, we don't go knocking on doors, you know, and, and asking people if they're saved and that sort of thing. It's just not way, been our way of doing things. And I'm not suggesting that we have to do that now because a lot of folks wouldn't be comfortable with that. But we do know people that are either searching or have were Catholic and have left the practice of the faith on a regular basis that we can certainly invite and accompany them back to, to church. Now we'll turn our attention to the keynote speaker, Father James Mallon. He's the pastor of Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. He's also the author of many books on parish renovation and discipleship and the founder of the Divine Renovation Ministry. Here's part of our conversation. So uh, you're down here to speak to the men of the Diocese of St. Petersburg about discipleship and how we can do a better job in our parishes, how we can renovate our parishes. You're involved with a, an organization or, or founded an organization called Divine Renovation. That's correct. How did that come about? How did it come about? Well, it really came from, orig- originated my own experience as a, as, as a teenager when I I was dragged to church for all of my, you know, 16 years of my long life. I love that phrase, dragged to church. <laughs> a lot of kids experience that and parents 
uh, see that too. Yeah, I just wasn't that. It just didn't seem that relevant. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus, but uh, I was. I got into teenage trouble. Was forced on a stupid religious weekend that I, I considered it at the time, and I encountered Jesus in a life changing way. I experienced God's love in a way that I didn't know was possible. And what I quickly came to understand is, as I gathered with these other young people, is that I was finding community and growth and nourishment and, and a sense of mission with them. But my parish, in comparison, was dead. My like, parish was like, there was nothing going on. I wasn't being fed. And, and even back then, I started to say, what's with that? You know, because if, if we could get this in every single parish, we'd change the world. And, and that was a question that stayed with me down through the years. I first became a pastor. Again, seeing a desire for, for parishes to wake up. I mean, every parish has a small group of like fully alive, committed people. But the vast majority of people, they come to, they come to Mass, they leave, they come the next week, they leave, they come the next week. And every year the number of people coming slowly less and they get older and and it's just you know most parishes i'm convinced operate at about five six percent engine capacity you know if the engine capacity is in the people of god awakening the people of god so that was always a passion i got my first parish and in work through stuff and I, I i saw a lot of things happen when parishes start to come to life i've been in small parishes and urban parishes and my last parish was a large suburban parish that we saw explode Really? Uh, in, into in, into life. So all the, all along, I was learning from other, you know, reading books and learning about leadership and evangelization. And I was I started to travel and speak a lot. And then I was I decided to I was kind of thinking through things like especially theologically because the reason we do most of the things we do is because we believe that this is what we're supposed to do. And is there's a guiding theology that actually is quite different from our formal theology. If you look at what the the church documents say about evangelization and discipleship and catechesis and sacraments and how they all relate. We don't actually follow our own teachings on this in terms of the primacy of evangelization. Like even a recent statement, Vatican document on the, the pastoral conversion of the parish for the sake of, the, of, of mission said that evangelization is supposed to be primary, preeminent, and preferential. And you tell me, parish, do you know a parish where evangelization is primary? Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's preeminent and preferential? And I'm talking, you know, the fact that we need to distinguish evangelization from other actions of the church. You know, when the word evangelization become quite trendy, it was quite common for churches just to slap the evangelization word on, well, just about everything we do. Right. So we didn't distinguish evangelization from discipleship. So here's the thing. I'm not just here talking about discipleship. I'm talking about how to make disciples. So two different things. I mean, you can talk all day long about how you're going to raise your kids. But unless you make babies, that's an academic question. All right. No, if you plan to make babies, you got to have a plan to raise your kids. I mean, anyone who's a parent, all you parents out there, you know, you, you give birth to your, your children. That the work is just, it, it shifts into a different phase and it's lifelong, right? It's lifelong. And that's like being a disciple. Once you, once you experience Jesus, the, the Lord as Savior and then you submit to him as Lord and you, become, you kind of make a decision to be his follower, church documents in the last 20 years have been using that language of decision. Which is, not, which is kind of unfamiliar to us Catholics in some ways. But this is coming from documents going back to Pope Benedict and, of course, Pope Francis. And uh, then it's a lifelong process. So we've got to make disciples, inform disciples, equip them for mission, and release them into mission. And parishes, what would happen if parishes became places where that happened? That's what drives me. Right. Yeah. yeah. They, they, the world would be on fire. T- totally. Sure. But it's hard to get that fire going. Oh, it's, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do. And, and where does that fire start? You said something a couple of minutes ago. I want to jump on this. You came into the church, and you saw attendance starting to drop. Where, where is this going? 
Does that, where is this going, come from the pastor and the leadership of the parish, or does it come from the parishioners? Because I've heard this said in parishes, Father doesn't want to do this. Father wasn't doesn't want to do that. And conversely, Father may want to do something. He so, can't get the parishioners so going. Le- how do, how le- leadership is absolutely indispensable. It is so practically, organizationally, socially, sociologically, psychologically, and theologically in our tradition. Leadership is essential. One of the first jobs of leadership, and I'm talking not just the, the office of leadership, but the but leadership as, as influence, one of the first tasks of a leader is to define reality. Where are we right now and where are we presently going? What's our trajectory? Where are we headed? That's what I'm going to speak to the priest about today. And then once you get a sense of, tra- of, of that, of where we're headed, then the next question is, what are we where are we called to go? Like, where is God calling us to go at this present time? And and that's about vision. That's that's about destination. So where are we? Where are we presently? And what direction are we headed in? Where are we called to go? And then the next question is, how are we going to get there? But there's two things that can motivate a desire for change. One is a kind of oh crap moment where you realize if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to not just keep getting what we're getting, but we're going to we're headed in the wrong direction. And so it's it's rooted in a desire for self preservation. Right, mm-hmm. so that's not a that's not a bad thing. Self preservation is a God given instinct. But remember, Evangelii Gaudium, paragraph twenty seven, Pope Francis' famous vision statement: "I dream of a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything, or our schedules, or vocabulary, or ways of doing things, etc." He says, "But it, that we may be the motive may be not our self preservation, but evangelization." And so, there's two things: self preservation can help us, but the underlying thing is, why do we need to rely on self-preservation in order to be obedient to what Jesus asks us to do. And so there is a whole question of obedience and submission. You know, the church calls it pastoral conversion for a reason. It is a conversion, and conversion is always about minds and hearts. It, you know, metanoieti in Greek, the, the word that Jesus used, one of his first words in the gospel, uh, repent, it's often translated as repent, and believe the good news literally means change your mind. Well, and that's hard for people. Both at the at the leadership level, as a pastor who may have been a pastor for thirty years, by goodness, we have been doing this the way we have it. It's showed success in the past, but times have bingo, changed. Bingo, bingo, and there's a good Catholic word for you, bingo. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's true, but this is the key issue. And again, this is what I'm going to be talking to the priest about this morning. It comes down to a, a question that haunts every single organization: What are you more attached to, your mission? Or your method, right? You see, in the church, we prove ourselves, and not just in the church, in all, in many organizations, we're more attached to our method than we are our mission. In fact, over time, we become so attached attached to our method that the mission becomes to maintain the method at all costs, even when it's proven that it no longer works. Now, why does it no longer work? It's because the world has changed. So when we talk about the need to change our methods, we're not saying, oh, you know, those pastors 10 years ago or 20 years ago, what they did was terrible. They did all the wrong things. No, no, I'm not, we're not saying that at all. Uh, we're saying that, that these methods worked in the past, but the past is, is gone. We're in a different world. So a lot of our pastoral modalities or ways of doing things, the presumptions we make about church life are based on a world that no longer exists. And in many ways, we're in denial. Now let's hear excerpts from the conversation I had with Father Chuck Dornquist, the Director of Vocations for our Diocese of St. Petersburg in our State of Vocations here in our diocese. Father Chuck, as I mentioned, you're the Director of Vocations. Uh, you were at the Women's Conference here a couple of weeks ago, and you made a stark statement mm. that we're going to have an ordination this year, praise God, yep. but things might be a little dry. What's going on? 
Yeah, so uh, this year we're going to be happily ordaining Deacon Christian Galvan to the Presbyterate, so we'll have that ordination in May. But following Deacon Christian's ordination, we're going to be at least four years without an ordination. Four years. Four years. So, and that's even on the other side of that. Those guys who are in seminary are still discerning, and then we're still discerning with them. And so there's the chance that it's even more years that we go without an ordination. It's the problem of... It takes so many years for seminary formation. It's not a problem. It's the reality that it takes nine years. And so there's not like a plug that I can just bring in right now and say, oh, we've got to need a gap filler. We've got a couple years in which just the reality is our diocese has lost several seminarians or maybe didn't have as many in the past. And so we're going to be in that gap for a couple of years, which is, it's a scary spot. It's a sad spot. Praise God on the other side of those four years. We have 13 men currently in seminary formation doing very well, receiving incredible formation from their time at St. Joseph Seminary in Louisiana and at St. Vincent de Paul in Boynton Beach. So once we get through this doldrum, so to speak, we'll be seeing a lot of good again. However, this four-year gap is something that in many other dioceses, when they've experienced two or three years, It's been a revitalization and a reminding of how important vocations work is. I think at times we can allow vocations work to get put on a back burner and be shuffled away into something that's not as significant because, well, vocations just tend to come. Chuck Dornquist is doing a great job there in the vocations office. He'll take care of it. When we're going to be four years without an ordination, that's going to bring it to the forefront that we don't have enough priests. Does that put pressure on you? There's always pressure on me. That's something I talk about a lot, just as like a personal thought. The future priesthood of the Diocese of St. Petersburg comes through me. That's my responsibility. That's my work. That's my job of connecting and engaging with people. Now we can say, of course, it's Bishop's office, and it's the priests of our diocese. But my office is the one that works through that. So there is that weight upon me, which if I begin to focus on the numbers, if I begin to focus on that reality, that's like trying to squat 1,200 pounds, and that's a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. But when I focus on Jesus and his desire to provide for his people and his desire to provide for the people of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And when I become one with his will and that love which he has for us, gosh, the weight moves so much easier. What can people do in the parishes? In the parishes. So we're really working hard in the next two years, this year and next, to revitalize parish vocation enrichment teams or parish vocation committees. Uh, so that way there are lay people in the parishes, moms, dads, altar server coordinators, sacristans, deacons, whoever the volunteer is, that's actively promoting vocations by having prayer cards, by doing dinners for the altar servers, by thanking the priests and publicly showing affection for priests and clergy in the parish. These small little things that when you're a kid and you look at that dynamic, it sticks out. It becomes a moment in which they might be able to perceive a call. Uh, So that's what we're asking for people in the parish, is to consider being involved in or creating, if your parish doesn't have one, a parish vocation enrichment team. Uh, We have information on that on the dospvocations.org, our website, for anyone who's interested in looking to do that. Step two, so that's creating like a culture of it. Step two is that if you know of a young man who should be considering priesthood because he's good and healthy and normal, because he loves the Lord, because he spends time in prayer, uh, because there's something about him, then affirm that in him. Tell it to him. 
make sure that he knows and hears from you that you see this reality. And the same thing for young women discerning religious life. Do not be afraid to affirm that you see that quality of a call in them. As a tradition here at Spirit FM at the convocation, we typically talk to the newly ordained men who have been ordained about five months. And on today's segment, we're going to talk with Father Don Amadeo, who is the parochial vicar of Nativity Catholic Church in Brandon. Father Don, good to see you. Good morning. And Father Zach Brasser, the parochial vicar at Our Lady of Lords in Dunedin. Father, morning, you? morning, John. How yeah. are you? All right. Were you up late <laughs> last night? I was. We have, we have a good time here at Convocation. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I did not hear any police reports or any calls, uh, sirens coming this way. I live not too far from here, so I guess you guys were well behaved. And I'm going to ask each one of you uh, this question. Father Zach, since you're closest to the mic right now, being uh, ordained five months, how has it been? It's been great. I think I just kind of keep going back to the fact that like I'm their priest and they're my people, and this is... This relationship that's just unique, and it's, I think, just by being a priest, there's kind of this immediate trust that's there, um, and it's really beautiful. You can see it. You know, kids, they just come up and talk after Mass. They talk about their dog, about their school, about you know, the, the clothes they're wearing, whatever it is. The important things in life and, yeah, exactly, for their age. Right, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then you know, uh, adults coming and just kind of opening up their hearts, and, you know, whether in confession or or just, just conversations at Coffee and Donuts. And just being part of people's lives in this really unique and intimate way um, has re- really been uh, very profound for me. What about for you, Father Don, at Nativity? Well, you know, St. Paul has that line where he says, I become all things to all men. And I can kind of feel that lived reality in some ways over at Nativity because you are suddenly exposed to all kinds of experiences people in all types of walks of life you will have those situations where you go straight from a funeral to wedding preparation to baptisms and i am very blessed there to have i'm one of four priests which is an increasingly a rarity not just here in our diocese but kind of anywhere and so to have other more experienced priests to to learn from and and to bounce ideas get advice off of it helps quite a bit for you, Father Don, what's been a great blessing for you personally? Just the welcome that I've received, like, there at the parish. We uh, had some big personalities heading out when I showed up, and so there can be that sense of loss from these priests that had built up this relationship, and suddenly you're the new guy. But I received a very gracious welcome there, and it's been great to get to know, to get to know the parish without really feeling like I need to, you know, go out of my way to ingratiate myself it's been very natural there and that's that's helped what about for you father zach what's been a a blessing for you so far at our lady of lords uh well actually kind of much like father don just also in a time of transition new pastor so it's the the welcome that we've received that we've both received has been tremendous and it kind of you know with what i said about just the the way that people open up it's i've just been astounded by this welcome I don't deserve on my own. I didn't ask for it. I didn't. I never gave them my resume. <laughs> you know, so they have no idea who I am. Um, but ju- just the welcome that I've received um, has been really tremendous. What about challenge? What's been? You know, you come in, you're freshly ordained, you're ready to take on the world, mm-hmm. and then you wake up one morning, maybe in September, and say, "I wasn't ready for this." Yeah, I think there have been moments where it's like I. I 
I literally thought to myself, like, they didn't tell us about this in seminary. Um, <laughs> like there were, this, this wasn't a class. What, um, what, can you share? Yeah, so there was um, one Sunday where at two of my masses, some you know, a, a, someone collapsed, had some kind of, you know, a medical emergency, you know, during mass. I remember standing there thinking, "Do I stop? Uh, do yeah, I was like, going? do I stop? You know, do I keep going?" And I kind of. Just went with the flow, and you know, I paused and just waited. You know, for thank God there were nurses and doctors at mass. You know, that day, and so they attended to the person, just kind of let it, let it take its course, and moved on. Um, yeah, at the end, I you know, texting a few other priests and be like, "Hey, uh, what, what, what are we supposed do with to do?" It? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. What about for you, Father Don? I'd say there's a ton of new experiences when I'm actually like at the church on campus. I've usually got those other voices of experience to help me out. But when I'm away, when I'm off on a sick call, heading over to the hospital, for instance, and suddenly you're kind of on your own, and you know, you've got your book of prayers and this and that, but there are people in serious situations, and you've got that like, all right, don't mess up. And you gotta just rely that, you know, while you're on your own, so to speak, you're really not, because the Holy Spirit is there with you. And to see that relief on people's faces when you're able to anoint them, when you're able to hear their confessions, in those situations so it's been like a little scary like you feel like you're unprepared at first but then afterwards you realize well the holy spirit's kind of got my back i'm okay well i want to thank both of you guys for stopping by this morning and uh sharing a little bit about uh your first five to six months as a uh, priest here in the diocese of saint petersburg and i know our people that are listening will be praying for you and uh, your parishes and your future success father don amadeo father zach brasser thanks for stopping by this morning Thanks for having us. Glad to be with you. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.